0: and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and we'll uh, continue with our hymn of the month, Come that Long Expected Jesus, and by a uh, popular vote last week we're doing... <laughs> The alternate tune, the one that we're singing on Wednesday nights (laughs) as well, um, it's the same tune as Love Divine, All Love's Excelling.
1: (laughs) Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in Thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, Thou art dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit rule In all our hearts alone By thine all-sufficient merit Praise us to thy glorious throne
0: Continue with our uh, catechism memory work, so... Uh, Yes, that's right. We're moving on now to the uh, Christian questions and answers. So I'll um, discuss in a moment what those are. But for now, I will read the unbolded part and um, everyone can respond with the bolded part. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes, Yes, I believe it. I am a sinner. How do you know this? from the Ten Commandments which I have not kept. Are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I am sorry that I have sinned against God. What have you deserved from God because of your sins? His wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal damnation. And we'll say the Bible memory work together. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6:23. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. Kids, can head off to Sunday school. Uh, So as is... My custom will take a quick look at the hymn of the month and just note some of the poetry there and um, things that you can learn from this hymn, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Uh, One of the lines that that kind of sticks out to me is uh, the second line of the first stanza, From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Um, Augustine probably the most famous Christian theologian ever to live. Um, You probably know more about Martin Luther by sake of being a Lutheran, but uh, Augustine overall Christianity, Western Christianity is probably the most famous um, of all Christian theologians, also considered probably one of the smartest men ever to live. Uh, When you read the things he wrote, they're just brilliant Um, in his confessions. Uh, Augustine's Confessions, which is probably the most famous Christian book uh, next to the Bible in the scope of church history. That is, uh, it isn't as you know particularly popular today. Your average American Christian might know um, what's the uh, that that book that is really famous that I was just going (laughs) to reference
1: the one we don't know the one I've never read
0: Uh, I was just thinking of like a really popular Christian book um, by one of those mega church uh, pastors Warren uh, Rick Rick Warren
1: Rick Warren Uh, Something. it
0: starts with the what's that yeah maybe something like that anyway my point is that your average American Christian might know a book by Rick Warren before they know Augustine Confessions, but
1: it's the something life, isn't it,
0: or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. I'm I'm proud of you for not knowing it. So it's you know, it's good. It's not it's not a very good book, so um, it's got a lot of poor theology in it. But um, my point is your average American Christian might know Rick Warren more than they know Augustine, but in the scope of church history, Augustine is more profound and popular anyway all of that is to say uh, that in Augustine's confessions he has this very famous line our hearts are restless till they rest in thee and that's a profound statement when you when you start to think about what that means that our souls our hearts our human condition is restless until we find Christ until until Christ comes to us Our hearts are restless till they rest in thee And um, I have to think that Perhaps Charles Wesley when he wrote this hymn Had that line in mind I mean he had certainly read that book uh, When he says From our fears and sins release us Let us find our rest in thee um, And it's a it's a beautiful statement That um, Sometimes you hear this kind of Slightly cheesy thing Said when we're talking about evangelism or um, just talking in general about the human condition, that everyone has a cross-shaped hole in their heart, um, which, you know, it, it's kind of a cheesy thing to say in some ways. But I think it's true, right, that, that if you don't have Jesus in your life, uh, something is missing. And everyone – there's no getting around religion, right? Everyone – uh, tries to fill that hole some way everyone uh, tries everyone knows there's intuitively and and deep in their heart they know there's something more than just the material world um, and it's funny when people who are who are materialist who say there isn't anything more than the material world they turn that into a religion right they preach that gospel um, fervently and and they they have their own kinds of uh worship and their own kinds of uh religious type of things that they do there's no getting around religion there's no getting around trying to fill up your soul some way or another but the only way that anyone ever truly is fulfilled is at rest with their soul at peace the peace which surpasses all understanding is in christ so um i love that line let us find our rest in thee i mean it makes me think of what augustine said but um even more important than just the general truth of the matter, is that only released from our fears and sins uh, do we have rest in, in Christ. For the catechism, uh, any questions on that or thoughts? Yeah, on our, a yeah. couple cousins
1: cousins graduated from Augustana College. Mm-hmm. The, you know, so I don't know uh, so, how much we talk about
0: Augustana Augustana is not actually referring to Augustine. It's referring to um, the Latin uh, translation of Augsburg, the German word, which is the confession of Augsburg, which uh, if you remember from the Reformation stuff, the Augsburg confession is the um, one of the documents in the Lutheran confessions. So it's actually Augustana is referring to the confession made in the city of Augsburg in Germany. Yeah. Uh, it's confusing because it sounds the same as Augustine and sometimes people say August Augustine and sometimes they say Augustine um, then you can pronounce it either way but uh, yeah so the the words sound the same but different etymologies okay. any other questions or thoughts um, yeah if you've never read Augustine's confessions it's it's a great read um, his, it's his autobiography so it's just like a life story. It's not um, incredibly difficult theology per se. Uh, Some of it, it gets a little bit in the weeds of, you know, the different heresies that he was fighting against and whatnot. But um, it's a, I mean, it's famous for a reason. It's a very good book. All right. uh, For the catechism, uh, we're on Christian questions and their answers. So we finished the table of duties and if, you remember way back to your confirmation days, um, you were probably taught six parts of the catechism, right? Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer, uh, cre- or cre- Ten Commandments Creed, Lord's Prayer. Let me make sure I give in the right order. Uh, baptism, Confession, Absolution, and the Lord's Supper. There's three more parts on top of that in the in Luther's Small Catechism that we often don't teach, or at least um, we don't make the, the confirmation students memorize um, like we do the other six parts. And that is um, table of duties, uh, daily prayers, which we have uh, the morning and evening prayers that Luther uh, speaks in or, or writes in the small catechism in at-home prayer every week. Um, in addition to – there, additionally in that section, there's also the mealtime prayers. In the catechism, which I often pray at meals for the uh, church potlucks and such. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and then Christian questions and their answers. So table of duties, we already know what that is. That's what we've been going over. Table of duties is where Luther says, okay, are what? what's your station in life? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Um, are you a ch- child? Are you an employer? Are you an employee? And then he gives Bible verses for all those things, and that's really really helpful in, in life to think about okay uh, what am I what should I be doing with my life from a biblical perspective. The um, Christian questions and their answers is about preparing for communion. So he already had the Lord's Supper, the theology of the Lord's Supper right uh, section in the catechism. What is the Lord's Supper or that he calls it the sacrament of the altar. Um, what is its power? It gives forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Uh, what's where do we get this in the Bible? The words of institution, that kind of stuff. Uh, but now um, he gives this list, and we uh, have catechism over here
1: somewhere. Yeah. Um.
0: Uh, I can't remember exactly how many questions. That's what I wanted to look up. Of 20 questions, um, he w- he invented the game 20 questions um, of to prepare to go to the Lord's supper, and so this is something that um, traditionally Lutherans would uh, read to themselves or have memorized and and go through with themselves on uh, Saturday night, basically before coming to church to receive the Lord's supper, and it starts with uh, these kind of general Christian truths. Um, are you a sinner? How do you know this? Uh, these things that we already went over and then uh, progresses into, um, okay, what do you need to do because of all this? And the answers are uh, receive the Lord's Supper. Why do you want to go receive the Lord's Supper? Uh, so on and so forth. And um, I, I like to kind of group the these last three parts of the catechism when we think about the catechism in general together that the, six, the first six parts of the catechism are the theology, right? It's the where, – where do we get what we – the basics of the Christian faith, the basics of what we believe. Where do we get this in the Bible? What does this mean? What are these things? Uh, so on and so forth. But then the last three parts of the catechism, Luther puts all of that into practice, right? So um, you have the Ten Commandments and the Creed, um, which is – you can think of kind of like law and gospel, right? You got the, the law, what God commands us to do in the Ten Commandments, and then what Jesus has done for us in the Creed. And then you get to the Table of Duties, and it, and it, the Table of Duties teaches you, oh, I'm actually supposed to live according to the Ten Commandments, and I'm actually supposed to live under God's grace, right? And then you have the Lord's Prayer, and then you get to the daily prayers, and it's like, okay, I've learned what prayer is from the Lord's prayer. Oh, I'm actually supposed to pray every day, and and use the Lord's prayer in my life. Um, interestingly, in the mealtime prayers, uh, the so you you know, whenever I uh, often when I pray for the church publics, I use this prayer: "The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing." In the catechism, Luther actually puts a pause after that line. And says, now everyone say the Lord's Prayer together, and then after that, then we say, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which you receive from thy bountiful goodness. Um, so you actually put the Lord's Prayer into practice every day, um, along with the morning and evening prayers and all of that. So you learn about prayer, and then you actually pray, <laughs> right? And then um, you learn about the sacraments in the, the six, first six parts of the Catechism. And then you get to Christian questions and answers, and you learn, oh, I'm actually supposed to remember my baptism, and I'm supposed to go to the Lord's Supper and receive it, or I'm supposed to go to church and, and receive these things. And so um, I, I like the catechism structure in that way in that Luther teaches us that um, like with things like these Christian questions and answers that the faith is lived out. right? It's not just an intellectual thing. It's actually lived out in uh, in real life, and so um, preparing for communion, and and um, thinking about actually going to church to receive the Lord's Supper, um, in the way that we do with the Christian questions and, the questions and answers, is uh, it's a very good thing. Um, and some of the questions that he'll get to as we continue through this are just uh, really great. The the ones at the near the end, where he's like. Uh, If you don't believe this, he literally says, like, pinch yourself and look around and see if you're still in the world Um, because you know what the Bible says about living in the world and what the Bible says about about the devil. So uh, very, very good stuff. Um, Any questions on the Christian questions and answers? All right. So. Picking back up with Bible history, then, um, we are uh, continuing with King Asa. So we finished Abhijam, um last week, and we're continuing with uh, King Asa, which is in uh, 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 14 to 16. And um, we just got started with Asa's life, but... If you remember Asa is one of the good kings. So generally the in the Kings and Chronicles the author will give you whether or not that king was good or bad at the beginning of the story. And we find out right away that Asa is one of the good kings, right? Asa does not walk in the ways of Rehoboam or Jeroboam. Uh, instead, he walks in the ways of the Lord, and he does he does what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. And he's one of a uh, few good kings in Judah. So Israel, if you remember, had no good kings. Some one of them starts out good and, and ends bad, but uh, no good kings overall. Judah ends up with a few good kings. We'll talk about Josiah later on, uh, but Asa is the first uh, of Judah's good kings, where we get this sense of hope, um, and then we'll see at the end of the story how that's not going to be lasting. But at least we do get this sense of hope. So um, if you look at Second Chronicles 14, is kind of where we're starting here, um, and Asa reigns reigns in Judah. Uh, he has this first round of what we can call reformation or revival. In in the land of Judah, right? So, when we talked about Reformation on Reformation Sunday, uh, you know, at the end of October, um, I think the point I was trying to make in the sermon, if I remember correctly, was that the church always needs reformation, right? Um, There's always things that need to be reformed in the church. And that was true back in Judah. Um, I think I used the example of Josiah in that point. But Asa goes to reform things uh, because what did Asa inherit from Abijah? Uh, He inherited a bunch of shrines to idols and um, all sorts of altars of foreign gods and sacred pillars and high places. And so at the beginning of 14, we find out that Asa uh, goes and he removes all these things. And um, he also, in his wisdom, uh, prepared during. So, because he is a good king, and because he's removing these uh, shrines and these these altars, the Lord sends peace. And so that's in uh, verse one that there were the land was quiet for ten years while Asa reigned during this kind of first round of reformation. And in his wisdom, uh, when you look at verse, starting around verses 7 and 8, Asa uh, used that time of peace to build up an army, right? So he didn't just uh, kind of sit there and uh, revel in the peace, but instead he uh, took the time to prepare because he knew that uh, there was going to be trouble, right? There was already tension um, between, if you remember at the end of Abijah's uh, life, there was a war between Judah and Israel. And um, not only that, but you have other surrounding nations um, who are constantly possibly going to be in war with uh, these people. Um, specifically, we saw with Israel, Assyria, that when the Assyrian Empire gets going, it's very powerful and wants to take over. And then we'll see the Babylonian Empire later on and Judah's life as a nation. But um, we're going to see in just a moment how Ethiopia is a nation that, that wants to war against Judah. And the reason for that, um, by the way, historically, if you look at a map, let me see, let me point you to a good map for this. Um, you want one that's kind of, uh maybe the the Persian Empire one is good. Um I'm trying to get one with the right zo- kind of zoom amount on it. But if you if you look at like this map for instance, um where the Persian Empire is, you have Egypt down here which is a massive world power and you have, you know, Babylonia and Assyria up here. And the Mediterranean Sea um, along along there which obviously is where um, and then you can get up into you know Europe and, and everything um, and, and, and Greece and things over here so uh, this little area right here where Jerusalem happens to be I, this is like I know that's really far away um, I can switch to another map now well this area here along, this is the Mediterranean Sea. This, this is now way zoomed in. This area here where Israel and Judah are um, happens to be a massive trade route, right? They're right along the. their coastal city. So they have access to all the ships where the Mediterranean can connect to the rest of the world and they're connecting Egypt and Persia, right? So so massive uh, kind of central location that God puts his people in. And so when you read in the Bible about all these neighboring nations that war against Israel, there's a reason for that, right? Historically, it's a it's a trade route. It's a place where you want control. Um, and you can see that uh, in the Bible, even in, in the New Testament, in Jesus' time, right? Um, you can see all the kind of activity that's going on where where uh, Jesus is in the fishing and everything. There's there's a lot of economic activity there. So um, that's just kind of a side note. I don't know if we've ever touched on that before, but um, that's kind of important to keep in mind. Anyhow, um, so he built up this army in his wisdom. And last week uh, we left off, and I just um, mentioned this, that it's important to note here that – Asa is – when we look at the way that God sets up his nation um, in Israel, whenever – even in the United Kingdom, there is a separation between priests and kings. So oftentimes you'll get this uh, idea that in the Old Testament – it was all god's nation and that was a special time in history and today we have the separation of church and state so we would never be you know that's like some sort of theocracy but um now we have you know secular politics and then we have the church in america right very very different ideas and in some ways that's true but I would point out that I, f- um, it's not a theocracy in the Old Testament. A theocracy is when the priests are running the politics. And Asa is not a priest. He's a king. And what makes him a good king of a nation? And I don't think this is particular just to being Judah, but... I think it is uh, true for kings throughout the world, throughout history. If you look at the way the Bible talks about any kind of earthly king um, in Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, what makes for a good king is that they listen to the prophets, that they listen to the Lord their God. And uh, Lutherans have always – Luther wrote on this extensively – said that the best Earthly government is one, it doesn't matter what form of government you have. Okay, so democracy, democratic republic, um, there, there are forms of government that are inherently sinful, like communism, but um, that, you know, because that's breaking like the seventh commandment, stealing, and things like that. But um, you could have, you know, Whatever form of government you want to have, a monarchy, whatever. But what makes for a good earthly government is when the people in charge are Christian. And we should want Christians to be in charge because they know how God created the world to work. They know God's law. They know the Ten Commandments. And they know what true justice is. Not some false sense of justice or whatever the world thinks justice is at the given time. They know what true justice looks like. And God does reward that. Um, God works good through that. And so when Asa does these reforms, he works good through the Christian king. Um, He works good in the land and peace in the land whenever there is a uh, Christian government. play and I again I don't think that's just because oh this is God's chosen nation I mean that's part of it but you can also see this in world history that whenever you have uh, Christian consensus and Christian governments things flourish Um, and whenever you have anti-Christian governments things fall apart Um, I can go into specific historical detail on that if you want but Um, I just want to make this point from the Bible today that things flourish with Asa because he is a good king and what defines his goodness is that he acts in accordance to the wisdom of of God. Um, He listens to the prophets, he prays, so on and so forth. Okay, so moving on then, um, the Ethiopian war happens. So, Ethiopia comes out against him. This is starting at verse 9, and um, they have a multitude of an army. Um, so a, your translation in verse 9 might say a million, or it might say a hundred, hundred thousand. I don't know which one it says, but regardless, same number. It's just uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, technically, it's a hundred, hundred thousand. Um, but that's that's a million, Obvious, obviously. It is, uh, what does your translation say? 2 Chronicles 14, nine. a million
1: million.
0: or thousands upon thousands so the the issue here is that historically historically it's unlikely that Ethiopia literally had a million men at this time Um, and it's also unlikely that Judah literally had uh, 280,000 men um, or no 300,000 plus 280,000 so 580,000 um men that they that they built up um that's back in verse eight so i'm not i'm not an expert on this topic particularly and like what the demographics were of this time in this area some historic historical um historians have said that these numbers are hyperbole and that might be true um you know in, in classics in in this kind of writing, that's often the case that you'll have these. When you talk about like the sizes of armies, you'll have hyperbole where numbers are kind of blown up uh, to say there's a million of them, right? And we we do that in English too, right? Where we say um, uh, there was there was a million people there, right? Like as a hyperbole. So that that might be the case uh, that that is happening here. Or maybe it's not, right? Um, you know, I'm also one to say that. Well, the Bible says it. You know, like maybe we should just go with what the Bible says. I mean, we weren't there. Um, who? What historian really knows, right? These are, these are educated guesses that we're making. Um, it could be hyperbole and still true in the sense of being a hyperbole, or it could be literally true. Anyway, Steve, go ahead. Yeah,
1: Julie's uh, Bible, I think, is in Lisa's
0: Yeah, so some translations, and this is, uh, you know, this is an interesting point. This is a complete side side note, but this is you can see here how translations always are also interpretations on a certain level, right? Because when a translator comes to this in the Hebrew and it says a hundred, hundred thousand. If the translator is convinced that that is hyperbole, then a more accurate translation would be to say something like vast, right? If that is a – in the Hebrew, if that's a colloquialism to say 100,000, just to say a lot, um, then it's a more accurate translation to say something like vast, where if it's a literal number, then it's a more accurate translation to say a million. And so um, that's why it's important, I think, that our pastors always study the languages and are, I'm at least able to tell you, okay, these are the options here, right? Because the translation only gives you one option <laughs> um, where the, there, there might be more than one option in the Hebrew, right? So um, that's always uh, something to remember when you're reading a translation. And, I mean, I'm not against reading English translations at all. Like, I, I mean, I read English translations every day. Um, it's obviously a lot faster and, and easier. But there is a certain level of separation there from, from what uh, the original authors said. And translating always involves a little bit of interpretation. So just something to keep in mind. There. But um, – I, the point, uh, whether it's hyperbole or not, the point is that Ethiopia has double the men of, right? So we have about 500,000 in, in Judah and a million in Ethiopia, literal or not. Um, and they're vastly outnumbered. Plus they have chariots, 300 chariots and chariots. Um, if you, this is another kind of historical point. In the ancient world, when you get literal horsepower, right, <laughs> um, you're gonna win, right. And the same thing's true with Egypt and uh, whenever they're running down the Israelites and Moses to the Red Sea, and they have their chariots and their mighty men, right. Uh, it's just, it's like having, <clears throat> um, it's like having a guns compared to swords right um, when you got uh, chariots and you got guys with you know big spears and horses that can run really fast and they're not just on foot they're not going to get tired out you're you're vastly militarily superior so the point here is that this is a lost battle right um, <coughs> excuse me this is a lost battle. There, there's not a way in which you can see this going well for the Judeans in theory, right? When we find out that they have a million men and 300 chariots. And yet Asa goes out against him. And what does Asa do? Verse 11. He prays, right? Right this is what all the kings have needed to do from the beginning right we've always talked about these the importance of um right worship right prayer and right word that the what makes for a good king is that they receive the prophet's words they pray to the lord in time of need and that they offer right worship to the lord and asa does that here he prays when he's supposed to and for that um, as they go out against this great multitude, as they go out uh, to fight against um, this mighty army that, that they could not possibly defeat, um, the Lord gives them the victory. Right? The Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah. This is verse 12. And the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown. They could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. They defeated all the cities around Gerar for the fear of the Lord came upon them and they plundered the cities and there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So they're doing here what the Lord commanded happen way back with Joshua, uh, which never happened. And they're um, given the victory by the lord over these uh pagan nations and uh they are rewarded for this uh with spoil right uh they're rewarded for this by uh being able to to not only take over these lands and and uh, defeat these armies but by then also um being able to plunder the cities and uh and take the spoil and uh have abundance right in this time so Um, That might strike our modern ears as a little, like, harsh, right? But um, if you remember, uh, first of all, these pagan nations were not innocent of sin. They, uh, you know, often partook in things like child sacrifice and and other such sins and um, deserved to be struck down by God's wrath. And what God does by giving his... People who are acting in a Christian way, the spoil and the, the land, is he's Christianizing the place, right? Um, he's he's making these places. He's spreading in some ways. He's spreading the gospel, and it, it kind of sounds harsh again in our modern ears. But um, this is how the world has worked, um, you know, ever since Adam and Eve left the garden, is that. Uh, there is an aspect of power <laughs> that must be uh, dealt with, and we want the Lord to be the one who has the power, right? Not um, just willingly give it over to uh, pagan nations, if you will. So, All right, uh, so that's the Ethiopian uh, War, and um, the Lord answers prayer, um, right? This is the application is that even in impossible situations— we should not say, "Oh, it's this is just too, this is too big for even God, right? <laughs> even God can't can't take care of this one, right?" That and that's that sounds crazy, but that's what the kings always did, right? They just they there would be some impossible problem, and they'd go and try and solve it by like, um, if you remember at the end of Israel's life, by paying off Assyria. Well, that doesn't work, right? So maybe uh, since we know. And, and and the great thing about this is that this gives us a solid historical example that God can actually work, right? God, God actually does the things – he's a God who fulfills his promises, um, and God can actually do what he says he's going to do. And so uh, we in our sin tend to think that prayer is like weak um, or unpowerful, but – Um, As as James says, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And maybe when we feel like we're in an impossible situation, we should just try to pray and see what God can do because um, he can defeat an army of a million men. So. All right. Uh, Second Chronicles 15 is all about uh, more reforms. So kind of the second wave of revival or second wave of reformation. That Asa does, and um, uh, it's interesting. So the first we had the prayer, and now we'll have the prophet. So uh, there's a prophet, Azariah, who comes. Um, the Spirit of God comes upon Azariah, and Azariah prophesies to Asa, and basically says, "Look at what the Lord uh, has done for you against the Ethiopians." Now, don't forget this, right? And Azariah is wise because he knows how often, excuse me, how often have we seen over and over again throughout the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah that, um, and even in the United Kingdom with, with David and, and Solomon, that a king will listen to the Lord, something really good will happen, and then they'll get comfortable and forget right and i think that's uh often that's just that's the cycle of history i mean we we do that all the time um i was just talking to uh some friends last night about um just in a group text message about um the pastor shortage in the lcms uh which is very startling when you look at the statistics and uh very concerning and we were kind of talking about this how like we've the lcms uh, no it's no individual's fault but the lcms has kind of lived in this um comfort in this even we could say like gluttony if you will for the last 50 years where everything's just been great right i mean it's good like it feels um whenever all the churches are full and Every church has a pastor and there's plenty of pastors graduating seminary and um, the economy is good and everyone can afford to be paid and everything. Um, And all the churches are basically in the black. You know, there's very few churches closing. More churches are opening. Um, Like if you go back to like the 80s or 90s, even I mean, not that long ago, it was that's what it was like. Um, And we've kind of gotten so comfortable in that. And now all of a sudden. Like, the economy is not as good, and there's a lot fewer people in church, and a lot of churches are closing, and very few churches are being planted, and um, there's not enough pastors anymore. And it's uh, just this time in history where we get comfortable, and then we need to start, again, taking things seriously and thinking, okay, like, what – what do we need to do now? Uh, we need to turn back to the Lord. Like, not that we've turned away from the Lord completely or anything, but um, this is the time to to get serious about prayer, to get serious about um, what's important and what's not important, you know, in our churches and uh, thing, things like that, right? So, um, anyway, that's just one modern example, but you can see this cycle of history where. Um, kings will get comfortable in their blessing from the lord and then they'll forget the lord and forget to pray to him forget to worship him and so on and so forth so anyway this is azariah's warning as he says stay humble don't think that it's because of you that all these blessings have come it's because god has sent them right so uh, that's that's basically what he says and azariah um asa takes that advice right so First he prays, then he listens to the prophet. He listens to the word, which is good. Um, So again, he's blessed, and he goes on this – basically this five-year campaign of, uh, again, taking out these – any leftover uh, idols, any leftover high places, any leftover um, shrines, someone and so forth, altars uh, to false gods, and um, continues to promote seeking the Lord, continues to promote – that the uh, law of Moses be read among the people. And uh, according to, I think there's a verse in here somewhere where he talks about like according to the law of Moses, um, does all these things. Now in verse 16, I'm just going to mention this because uh, it's something that we've mentioned before. This is uh, 2 Chronicles 15, 16. Uh, If you remember, uh, this this lady, Maka, is... um, the mother of Abijah, right? Um, now, Rehoboam, uh, the first king of Judah that we talked about, Maka was his favorite wife of all his, you know, many wives that he had because that's what you did. And um, when you were an evil king of Judah, you had lots and lots of wives. And Maka was a, a pagan, but she was descended from the line of David, right? So she had she had turned to worship other gods, but um, she was the granddaughter of Absalom, who was the rebellious son of David. Um, so we have this this line of rebellion here. And Maka had retained, uh, we just find this out in this verse. Maka had retained her queenship in the land. So she was one of these. Uh, she was. Um, Asa's, uh, let's see, grandmother, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and she had retained her, um, and again, we have this, uh, note here in, um, verse 16 says the mother of Asa. Um, but again, the, the term mother and father in Hebrew is broader than how we use it. So like, uh, whenever a king dies, it'll say, Um, So it probably says it about Asa here That uh, whenever he died He was um, Laid with He laid with his fathers Anyway, the point is that Father and mother can also mean Grandmother, grandfather Or great-grandmother Great-great-grandmother, whatever Um, The words father and mother They mean, uh, they're, they're broader They can just mean a descendant basically, right? So um, they can be multi-generational. So anyway, uh, Asa removes Maka as queen um, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And if you remember, Asherah is a Canaanite uh, goddess, right? Asherah um, is, is Asherah the, the daughter of Baal or the wife of Baal? I don't remember. Anyway, um, it's a false goddess, a- Asherah. And then there's also the Ashtaroth, um, which is another goddess. Anyway, there's uh, all these Canaanite goddesses and gods, and and um, they're they're the ones that are basically they're they're the ones that you offer the child sacrifice to and all those kinds of things. So um, there was an obscene image of Asherah that Maka had made, and so Asa um, he removes his own grandmother right from from the queenship of. Of Judah because she's not Christian, um, and this is what Jesus says, right? If you don't hate father and mother, and follow after me, right? And my my gospel is going to come and it's going to divide father against son and mother against daughter and um, mother against uh, daughter-in-law and, and all these things. Um, that this is an unfortunate reality of sin is that it sin does divide families and. What's more important than family is faith. Um, family is very, very important. And the first commandment that God gives about our relationship to our neighbors, the fourth commandment, is one about family. Honor your father and your mother. Right. So we always keep that in mind. But when it comes down to being faithful to God or being faithful to family, uh, we do choose the God who is father of all um rather than an earthly father and that can be a very hard thing in families to have that that kind of um split between but our but our bodies and our souls belong to god they don't belong to um earthly family so uh asa does the right thing here and um removes her hopefully to come to repentance i mean there's no record of that happening But uh, he does uh, do this. All right. I just realized what time it is. So um, 10.02, we'll end there. Right about there. And we'll pick up next week and we'll end in a word of prayer. Any questions? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would always keep us faithful like Asa was faithful. We pray that you would give us uh, Christian rulers that would know your law and would preserve for us peace and give us uh, the preaching of the gospel in this land. We pray that you would continue to bless this church, and we pray that you would be with us as we go to worship today uh, in spirit and in truth. We pray all this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord